When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When this world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the host of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, Thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I do the best I can and my friends misunderstand, Thou who knows all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes in battle array undertake and stop my way, Thou who saved Paul and Silas, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm nearing chilly Jordan, O thou lily of the valley, stand by me. O thou lily of the valley, stand by me. Amen. Well, it is good to be here at Northside Baptist Church again this Sunday. And I'm glad to have those that are here today. And the uh, Lord's blessed us with some beautiful days. It's fixing to get hot. <laughs> and so get ready for it. But I do have a message this morning the Lord's been dealing with me on here the last few days to preach this morning. And it is in the book of James, James chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10 this morning, Lord willing. James chapter 4. And we'll start with verse 7. We'll go ahead and read our text. And the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to ha heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word this morning. Lord, thank you for the good spirit today, the good songs and singing. Lord, we're asking now for your help. Lord, to let us be able to preach the best that we can, Lord, not, not to be seen by men, but Lord, to, to show the world about you. Lord, to tell the world about you. God, help us do that today. Keep us humble and out of the way. These things we ask in your name, in the name of Jesus, and amen. 
Well, if you're not careful, you may read that text we read this morning and think James is talking to a bunch of lost people. Uh, But that's not the case. He's talking to a bunch of saved people who are acting like they're not saved. (laughs) And so, uh, saved people that aren't acting like they're saved, and let's be honest this morning, and I'll stand here and raise my hand, uh, I've often been that way, a saved person acting like he's not saved. And if you'll be honest today, I believe you can raise your hand today. You don't have to. I'm just saying. But everybody in the sound of my voice and everybody that may hear this later on that listens to this, we all fall short and come, uh, we all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. As I was looking at these verses, just four of them here, I noticed there's ten things in here that James lists that we need to be doing as a believer. Look at there, verse 7, he says, Submit to God or resist the devil. There's two things. Verse 8, draw nigh to God and cleanse and purify. There's three things. Verse 9, be afflicted, mourn, weep, and turn. There's four more. And in verse 10, humble ourselves. There's another one. That's ten things in four short verses that we as Christians need to be doing. So look at verse 7 again. There he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, One thing we must be well aware of as, as a Christian is the fact that we have an enemy. We have an enemy, and he is the devil. He's known as many different things, Satan, Beelzebub, uh, Lucifer, uh, the father of lies, uh, the prince and power of the air. He's got a lot of different names, but here we see that, that he is our adversary. He says to resist the devil. Over in 1 Peter 5 and 8, he says, Our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word adversary right there means somebody that opposes you. It's kind of like in a court of law when you've got to stand up and somebody's against you and they, they get up and say all kinds of things uh, about you, try to mess you up. So he opposes everything that you do, that we do. If you want to go to church, your adversary will try to talk you out of it. He talked a lot of people out of it today. If you want to work in a certain ministry, the, the, your adversary will convince you that you're not qualified to do it. The Lord never says you need to be qualified. If you want to do something nice for somebody, your adversary will convince you that they don't really want you intervening. They don't want you around. They don't want your help. If you want to live a pure life, your adversary will throw stumbling blocks out in front of you to try to get you to trip up. You see, your adversary, he does all these things that opposes you. He's against you. Notice it also says the devil is your adversary. Your adversary. That makes it very personal. You see, we know one thing. The devil hates the church. We know he hates the Lord Jesus. We know that, and we can we can comprehend that. But when it says he's your adversary, that means he personally hates you on a one-on-one basis. He hates you. And we need to remember that. It's individual. He wants to defeat you. Now, if you're saved, he cannot take your soul. Uh, Your soul belongs to the Lord. And when you leave this walk of life, you'll be in the presence of the Lord. But you better believe your adversary is going to do everything in his power to try to mess you up. He's going to try to damage your testimony. He's going to try to damage your Christian walk. He's going to try to damage your church attendance. 
He's going to try to damage your relationships. He's going to try to damage everything that he can to try to get you to fall because he knows that he can't have you in the end. Uh, listen, if, if you'll be honest this morning, you'll, you'll, you'll understand that it takes an effort on our part to flee from the devil. And, and, and by the way, that's what the Bible tells us to do is to flee from him. It never says to get up and, and uh, fight with him. It says to flee from him. Uh, I am 55 years old. I've been saved 49 years. And while my name is written down in heaven, my citizenship lies there. And I'll go there when I die. I understand that. The fact is the devil doesn't care about that. He, it's too late for that. But he sure cares about everything else that goes on in life. And he is going to do his devilish, dead-level best to try to do things to, to make me look bad, to make Christians look bad, to make the church look bad, to damage things, and he'll do it. And he'll do it through you. You will find yourself working on his behalf because he's kind of like one of those uh, uh, puppet masters with the strings trying to, trying to get you to do what he wants you to do. So we must submit ourselves, therefore, to God. Submit means to obey, to commit yourself, to be subject to, to be controlled by. That's what that word submit means. And my, my nephew, Jonathan, a couple of years ago, went and joined up in the army. Uh, after he joined the army, he was committed to them. He still is. Whatever they say, he must do. If any of you men has been in the military, once you join the military, you belong to them. You've submitted yourself to the military, and you do what they say. You obey them. They control you while you're in the military. And so, listen, it's called a commitment. We have a commitment to the Lord once we become saved. And he expects us to keep that commitment. Uh, once we're saved, we commit to him. We're no longer belonged to ourselves. The Bible tells that uh, tells us that. Uh, we are not our own, the Bible says, because we belong to him. He bought us. And so, therefore, we are to allow him to control us. He is to show us how to walk, how to talk, how to live our lives, what to do. And He, we should be obeying everything that the Lord tells us to do. That's called submission. And so submitting to him, it means that we agree with his word. And by the way, that's the most important thing that you have in your possession outside of your salvation is the word of God. That is where you learn about God. There's people all the time saying, I'm so confused about everything in life, and I wish the Lord would just tell me something. I say, pick up your Bible and read it. That's where he talks to you from is the word of God. That's why it's called the word of God. And so... We are to submit to his will and his word, his spirit. We're to live in his spirit and be obedient to him and compliant to his word. To be compliant means that you agree with it and you're going to do it. <laughs> and so that's the very first part of resisting the devil. And don't think that you can resist the devil on your own. You can't. He is much more powerful than you and more powerful than me. We have to have the Lord standing up for us to do it. That song I just sang, Stand By Me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me because I can't stand by myself. I have to have the Lord to lean upon. Uh, not only are we to submit ourselves to God, but it says to resist the devil. That means to pose and to stand against. 
to oppose and stand against. You cannot resist something that you are giving into. As long as you're indulging in something, you are not resisting it. You're giving into it. And so we don't allow those things into our lives. We push those things away. We've got to stand against things that we know are wrong. We need to open our mouth when we hear something that is wrong, that goes against God's word. We are to stand up and say, wait a minute. That's not what God says. Even when it's things such as laws that the, the government stands up and says, you must agree with this or you must agree with that. If it goes against God's word, I'm sorry, we do not. So the truth is the devil only has as much power over you as we allow him to have. We allow him to have that power. If you give him an inch, he will take a mile. If you let him get his little claw in the door, if you crack that door open just enough for him to put his little paw in, he'll bust that door down. He'll move into your living room, sit on your couch, and watch your TV. Give him just a little bit. He'll take it all. Perhaps you think you're so strong of a Christian that you could would never allow the devil to get to you. Are you better than Simon Peter was? The Bible says in Luke 22 and 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You better believe the devil would like nothing better than to sift us as wheat. He'll do it. Therefore, we must follow James' instructions to resist the devil. Peter learned a hard lesson about resisting the devil. We all know the story. And he shares afterwards this in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Peter had been through the ringer. He had been sifted. The Lord prayed for him, but Peter got sifted. Uh, Peter gave in, we know, and... and uh, uh, he denied knowing the very Christ that he loved. Uh, Peter sought forgiveness. Peter learned a lesson, and then he tries to teach us we need to be sober. That means don't walk around here like you ain't got no sense, like some drunk. You better have your mind about you, your wits about you, and pay attention. You better he's, That's what he says, be vigilant. That means paying attention. It's like a guard looking out because your adversary. There's that word, adversary, the devil. He's walking about seeking whom he can devour. And so we see there again, we're not to fight the devil. We're told to resist the devil. Uh, there's a lot of foolish people in this world that say, you know, I can, I'm such a strong Christian. Bring it on, devil. Boy, you better be careful. You're not a big enough man. You're not a big enough woman. You're not a big enough Christian to fight the devil. You've got to resist him. You've got to flee from him. As long as you're resisting him and submitting yourself to God, the devil doesn't have a chance. It's not until you let your guard down, you stop resisting, that he is able to take control of you. And once he does that, friends, he will use you. 
I like that James says the devil will flee from us, not just walk away sobbing. No, he's going to run. He's fleeing because he knows that he has no chance when a Christian stands up with the Lord at his side. Let's look back at our text there in, in James 4 and 8. It goes on to say, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. <clears throat> Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, when we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, we are to draw nigh to God. I like that phrase, draw nigh to. It means to approach, to be at hand, to come up alongside of. Uh, you men, when you met that woman that you love, you like to draw nigh up beside her. Ladies, the same way. You want to draw up nigh to that, that man that you love. Uh, we want to do that with our children and grandchildren. We want to draw nigh to them. It means pull them up and get them real close. And that's what we're to do with the Lord. We, we, we submit ourselves to him. We resist the devil. And what do we do? We draw nigh unto God. We draw close to him. Uh, that's how we naturally react to someone or something that we love. We want to get as close as we possibly can to it. Look, if, if there's anyone that we need to be close to, it is the Lord. I'm reminded of Enoch who drew so nigh to God that God just said, let's just go on home. There in Genesis 5 and 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. You talk about draw, drawing nigh, you can't get any more nigher than that. Uh, too many Christians today, however, are drawing nigh to the world. They're drawing nigh to other things besides the Lord. They draw nigh to televisions and movies and uh, the Internet, sports, all manner of things they're drawing nigh to. The restaurants on our way in were filled this morning. The cars on the road, I, more than, than ever. I know a lot of people are going on vacation right now. I know that. But so many people are out, and I asked my wife, I said, this don't even feel like Sunday. They were building and construction across from the Home Depot over there on those things they're building. They were up there hammering nails this morning. Uh, it just it didn't seem like a Sunday to me. It, it seemed like any other day of the week or a Saturday, perhaps. And that's the way it's become today. P people have just turned Sunday into any other day of the week. It's no longer sacred. You remember when you couldn't go to the store on Sunday because they closed? Me and my wife, a uh, few years, well, it's been quite a few years, I guess, now. But we were driving around in Sneedville. There ain't nothing in Sneedville. And we were getting low on gas, and it was a Sunday. And we were panicking. We was like, well, I don't know if we're going to get home because there's not a gas station open. It's Sunday. And there wasn't. There was nothing open. I, I remember when Kroger started opening 24 hours, and Walmart, when it moved in, they were open 24 hours, and they was open on Sundays, and then it seemed like all of a sudden everybody was open on Sunday, and it didn't matter anymore. For a while, they were open up later in the day, like after church. But then they got to where we don't really care about that anymore, and so then they were open up at normal times and earlier and earlier. Sunday has just become any other day of the week for most people and, sadly, for most Christians. When you have to get out of bed and ask yourself if you're going to church, you have a bad problem. You are not resisting the devil, and you're not drawing nigh to God if that's what you have to deal with on a Sunday morning. But Christians today, they're drawing nigh to Facebook instead of the Lord's good book. They draw nigh to Facebook. And listen, sharing religious memes 
and asking people to pray for you on Facebook is not the same as drawing nigh to God. I could go through and show you so many examples of so-called Christians that get on Facebook and, and say all these religious things, and the next post they make, it's some disgusting, nasty, worldly piece of garbage. And in the next breath, talking about praying and, and things like that. Uh, listen, drawing nigh to God means that we have a personal relationship with Him. We drew nigh to Him, we talk to Him, we read His words, we tell everyone about Him. And isn't that what you do in human relationships when you love somebody? Isn't that what happens? Boy meets girl. They fall in love. They draw nigh to each other. And then they want to go and tell everybody about it. Why are we not like that with the Lord Jesus? We say we love him. We need to draw nigh to him and then go tell everybody about him. You know what the Lord did for me? (laughs) If nothing else, you can tell everybody the Lord kept you out of hell. If you ain't got nothing else to brag about, you can brag about that. The Lord kept me from going to hell. James adds there, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. To have fellowship with God, we must repent of our sins and let him cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he's faithful and just, the Bible says, to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. Not just parts of it, but all of it. All we need to do is come and and ask him for forgiveness. But we need to cleanse our hearts, cleanse our hands, and purify our hearts, you double-minded. James likes that double-minded thing. There, I believe it's in chapter 1, maybe verse 8, he talks about a double-minded man. And uh, I I, kind of thought about preaching on that this morning, but the Lord kept leading me here. But the Lord wants us to have a clean vessel, a pure heart, You cannot have it both ways. You can't have one foot in the church house and the other foot in the smut house. It doesn't work that way. I may have told you this story before, but when I was a little boy, my uh, papa, Lorne Chesney, stood about five foot six. Um, He probably weighed 98 pounds soaking wet. He was strong as an ox. He could lift up a 600-pound hog himself. But I used to follow him around. He's a farmer. He worked at Standard Knit Mill, and then after that, he, he just farmed all the time. And I would follow him around on the farm and try and mimic some of the things he did. Well, we got up into this part of the, of the cow pasture where he had uh, electric fences. <laughs> I was just a, a little boy. I was about half the size of him, even though he's a short man. We get up to those electric fences, and he walks up, and he just throws one leg over and Throws the other over, no problem. I just thought, well, I can do the same thing. So I walk over. I grab the metal post and put my leg over and set right on top of that wire. I went for the ride of my life. I was shocked and shocked and shocked. It does not feel good to sit down on an electric fence. I finally hit the ground and was laying there in pain while I could hear my grandfather standing over me laughing. (laughs) I don't teach you to grab that electric fence like that. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is when you put one foot over in the church and one foot over in the world, it's like striding an electric fence. It ain't going to be good when it all hits you. You cannot be that way. That's double-mindedness. James' original audience here was made up of Jews that had become Christians. They were well aware of how it was about cleansing and purifying. They went through all those processes, knew what it meant concerning righteousness. 
And while we may not go through these Jewish rituals of cleansings and things like that, uh, we know that we can be cleansed from within. When King David, whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, after his sin was found out, we all know what it was. God didn't hide anything from us in his word. We know the sins of David. He was confronted by God's man, the prophet Nathan. And listen to what David prayed after all this happened in Psalm 51 and 1. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And there's a song in that hymn book there. It's called Cleanse Me. And it's from this prayer that David was praying to the Lord. Did you notice that David admitted to his sin? Now we know when Nathan confronted him and Nathan had to tell him that he was the man. He was, David was ready to go get somebody else. But when Nathan pointed out his sin, and David knew that it was him. And then he gets down on his knees and he prays to the Lord, Oh Lord, have mercy upon me. Today, people do not see that they are sinners. They don't have any inkling that what they're doing is against God. Listen, if we are to submit ourselves to God, we must cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. Keep looking there in James again, verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Look, you will never know true joy in salvation until you become afflicted and mourn over your sin. If we could see sin the way God sees sin, we would all be just beside ourselves. We could not handle it. If we saw sin the way God does, we could not even stand ourselves. One of the biggest stumbling blocks when you're trying to witness to people is to convince them that they're sinners. Nowadays, they just say, well, I'm a lot better than my neighbor is. I'm a lot better than that guy I work with out at work, and I've, I don't never hurt nobody. I don't ever do anything. And they'll just go on and on and on. You, you can't hardly convince somebody today that they're a sinner. Uh, listen, there's no longer any affliction or mourning or weeping over sins. Instead, today, we celebrate sin. Click, turn on the TV this afternoon when you get home. You'll see the world celebrating sin. This whole month has been set aside to celebrate sin. You can't get away from it. It's worse than I've ever seen it. Pride. Pride leadeth to destruction, the Bible tells us. Listen. 
you better believe that the Lord is looking for us to mourn and weep over our sin. How many of us weep over the millions, millions of little babies that are getting aborted every year? Or since, since Roe versus Wade, all these little babies that's been slaughtered. How many are weeping over the mockery we made of God's plan for marriage? Here in this country, anybody can marry anybody. You wait. Before long, they'll be marrying their dogs. It'll be illegal. How many of us weep over children being sexually exploited, robbing them of their youth, telling them that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy? Are we mourning and weeping over that? We need to be. This is serious stuff. We are losing our children today to the world and to the devil. How many of us weep over the persecution of Christians throughout the world? The Muslim faith is sweeping over this world and is growing, and its influence is getting larger and larger. And all we hear in the headlines today is how bad the Baptists are now. Hey, I'm not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Used to be. I'm not any longer. We're independent. I believe you guys are independent. I know there's a lot of things that went on in all that, but the news media is going to put that on the front and center to make us look as bad as they possibly can, and they'll lump all Baptists, all Christians, into that same category. We need to be weeping over all this stuff. Verse 10 of our text says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now here is the key to recognizing ourselves as the simple creatures that we are. We must humble ourselves. And uh, I tell you what, today is the day of pride in this country. And we just talked about it. Pride month this month. Almost every company that you go to buy something from is, is celebrating and advertising uh, the LBGTQ plus whatever it is. I don't know. The homosexuals, the sodomites. They are uh, praising them. I saw one company was donating a million dollars to some homosexual organization thing. Almost everything you go to deal with, that's all you hear. Every commercial on television, they're talking about it. Listen, with the invention of social media, it's made things worse. Uh, I've, I've preached this a lot, but this has become a self-absorbed, selfie world. You know, it wouldn't surprise me to see somebody on Facebook with their phone going, humbling myself. Would that surprise you? wouldn't surprise me a bit. That's how bad it's gotten. The invention of social media has led to an increase in pride. The Bible says we're to humble ourselves. Over in Proverbs 21 and 4, it says a high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 16 and 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 26 and 12, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Look, we ought not to ever think that we're submitting ourselves to God or drawing nigh to him as long as we have pride in our hearts. As long as we think that we're better than everybody else. As long as we think that we need to be lifted up on a pedestal. And that's the problem today. Everybody thinks that they ought to be up on a pedestal. Everybody thinks they ought to have a viral video with two million likes on it. It's become disgusting. It's nothing but pride. 
The Bible says that we will not go unpunished for this kind of pride. James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. He shall lift you up. Not the world. Not your social media fans or friends or whatever they're called. But he will lift you up when you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. We don't have to lift ourselves up. And all this is to bring glory to God. It's not to glorify you. It's to glorify him. Everything that we do in our Christian walk is to glorify God. And the things that we do that is not glorifying God will get burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. So what about it this morning? Are we truly submitting ourselves to God? Are we just paying lip service? Are we just pretend Christians? Do we just come to church on Sunday or whenever, Sunday night, Wednesday, the rest of the week that we're just part of the world, no difference in us and that lost person? Over Matthew 15 and 8, the Bible says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Is that us today? Is that the average Christian today? I'm afraid it's starting to look that way. We pay a lot of lip service. Get up on a Sunday and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. And on Monday, we're grumbling and, and griping and, and, and acting just like everybody else in the world. Friends, it ought not to be that way. We need to draw nigh to God. He'll straighten us out. You better believe he'll straighten us out. We just need to submit ourselves to him. That's the key. You must submit yourself to God. Don't think you're submitting yourself to God when you're submitting yourself to all these other things in this world. It doesn't work that way. Would you pray with me?